0: everyone. Welcome to New Point Community Church. Thanks for joining our podcast today. We pray that this series and this message inspires you to grow your faith and builds your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy today's message. So let me ask you a question today. Do you realize that God is painting a picture and you're the canvas? Paul writes in Ephesians, he says that We are his masterpiece. And he's painting a picture. And the question that we have to ask is this. What would other people say is the most striking point of our life? Wow, he can hit a golf ball. Wow, she can really sing. Or would it be, you know what? I don't think I've ever met a man like this. I don't think I've ever met a woman like this who's loving, who's kind, who's forgiving. You see, collectively, God's painting a picture, and new point is the canvas, and our desire must be that nothing would distract people from the face of our Savior. I need to be able to reflect and ask, Dwight, is there anything that would distract The face of Jesus, as Patty looks at you, as your kids look at you, as the people that you work with, look at you, as your friends, as your neighbors look at you. You see, we're all called to be Jesus (laughs) to people. And baptism gives us that picture. Because you see, baptism is you go under. That's referred to as the water grave. That means that you're dying to your ways, you're dying to your attitudes, your appetites, your actions, and you're being resurrected to new life in Christ Jesus. And the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead now lives in you to equip you and to empower you To be able to be that and to do that to those in your life. We're in this series called First, and we're asking the question, is Jesus important or is he first? Is Jesus important or does he have preeminence in your life? Is Jesus important or is he supreme in your life? Reggie McNeil says this, he says, the current church culture in North America is on life support. That the church today is living off of the work and the commitment and the sacrifice and the generosity and the energy of the previous generations. Basically what he's saying at today's church doesn't have it. And that's why our world is in the shape that it's in. Don't be confused with why our world is in the shape that it is in. Don't think that it's just political. It's not. It's the church. Because the church is here to affect the culture. The church is here to influence the culture. The church is here to change the culture. And who's the church? It's every man. It's every woman who names the name of Christ. You see, the values of the first century Christian is no longer the dominant values of the church today. I like to say it like this. We all are thankful for Jesus because we want to die and go to heaven. We just don't buy into his mission. We don't buy into his values. We want to be a part of his kingdom. We just don't buy into what he is offering ultimately. And what we have to understand and what we have to, to, to realize the culture does not want a powerless God. The culture does not want a powerless God of the modern church. Matter of fact, mom and dad, your kids don't want a powerless God. For many of us, our God is way too small, way too small. They're not interested in that. They, they, they want a, a great God, a good God, a generous God. You see, people aren't looking for great churches. Matter of fact, people outside the church, you know what they think? They think that church is for church people. (laughs) They think that church is for religious people who kind of believe in God, and they believe that there's a heaven, they believe that there's a hell, but it's more like a club, and people are really turned off by the church. The attendance in the church and people coming to church has been in a decline for over two decades. But here's the good news. The good news is they're not turned off by Jesus. They are turned off by his church. And maybe one of the reasons why is because we are not reflecting the true Jesus. Because he doesn't have the rightful place in our life that he deserves and that he even demands. And so we need to recapture the mission of the church. We need to recapture the founder of the church, because the church has never existed for itself. And the movement that Jesus initiated a little over 2000 years ago was initiated with power because it had at its core the personal life transforming experience of being forgiven of sins, being given purpose in life, and being filled with his spirit. And the only way that we can experience A dynamic relationship with Christ is to have him as the preeminence of our life, to have him as first in our life, above all things, before all things. See, here's what I believe. It's harsh, but I believe it. The North American church is not spiritual enough to reach our culture today. Just not, because you know what? The more the, the North American church does not have Jesus as first in all things. And without Jesus being first in your life and my life, we're powerless. We have a form of godliness, but we deny the power. And so Paul is writing to a church in Colossae, The letter is called Colossians, and he's writing to a church who's lost its influence, who's lost its power that it once had. It once was influencing the culture, and now the world is influencing the church more than the church is influencing the culture, and so we're in this series called First, and we're taking a look at this uncomfortable question, but much-needed question is Jesus important or is he first? See, if you would talk to a Hebrew man back in the first century, they wouldn't even go there with saying first because it would insinuate that there's many priorities and that God is one of many gods. And they would say, no, there's only one God. So they wouldn't say that Jesus is first, but we understand that language. What they would say is this, I trust God with everything. I trust God with everything. And see, that's when you know that Jesus is first in your life. You trust God with everything. You trust him with your relationships. You trust him with your health. You trust him with your career. You trust him with your finances. You trust him with your time. And all of our choices and all of our decisions are based on this trust, that he's before all things and he's above all things. And I am convinced, if we will wrestle with this question, because it is so important in all of our lives that knowing Jesus is worth anything and everything, that the true worth of knowing Jesus surpasses all things. And so if that's true, then we will put him first. I love this right here. The true worth of something is determined by how much more it gives in value than it takes in payment. That what happens, yes, it will cost you something if you put Jesus Christ first in your life, but the value that it gives is huge because we would say here at New Point, we would say that Jesus makes life better and better at life. And would you all agree that we don't do life very well? And Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it to what? To the fullest. You see, a dollar is fixed and finite. Value, however, is the relative worth of something desirable to someone, and that's Christ. You know, Christ, you are so valuable that you continue to give, and there's no price too high to pay to have you in your rightful place, because when Jesus is in his rightful place, a thousand problems are solved. A thousand problems are solved. You say, I got so many problems. Put Jesus first. He'll solve a thousand of them just like that before you even leave here today. Now, you'll still have problems, but a thousand of your problems, the problems that most of us wrestle with is because Jesus isn't first in our life. We can blame it on mom, we can blame it on dad, we can blame it on the boss, we can blame it on the economy, we can blame it on a whole lot of things, but the fact of the matter, those are all fleshly symptoms. They're not going to the root. The root is Jesus isn't first. And so let me ask you a question today. In your life, is Jesus worthy? is Jesus worthy of being placed first in your life? Paul said, absolutely. And he was committed to challenging people. Even the church in Colossae, he was challenging them. And he was saying, Jesus is worth being put first in your life. And today we're going to see what motivates him and what moves him, what's in his heart. And Paul answers that question. And so let's look at what he has to say. Here's what he says. He says, you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. What's the truth? That Jesus is preeminent, that he's supreme, that he's first, that he's the revealer of the father, that he's the ruler of the future, and that he is the one who reconciles mankind to God. We learned that last week. If you weren't here, let me encourage you to download it. He says, you have to stand in that because they were hearing all kinds of different comments and philosophies and and empty deceit that was causing them to waver whether Jesus was enough or if something else needed to be added. He said, don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. When you first heard it, you bought in. When you first heard it, you received it. When you first heard it, you were baptized. You gave signal, you gave symbol that Jesus is your all, that you're dead with your past and you're coming alive. He says here, he says, don't lose that. Don't drift from that. And Paul is saying that the good news and the word of God has been appointed to him and that he is committed to sharing it with anyone and everyone because everybody spends forever somewhere and none of us do life well and Jesus makes us better at life. And so Paul is saying that the good news, the truth of who Jesus Christ really is, is worth sharing with everyone. And he was committed to taking it around the world because he would say, Jesus, you're worth this. You're worth it. And so he's going to every single part of the world, Paul is, to share this good news. And he's saying, it's worth it. It's worth being a messenger. It's worth being a servant. Don't drift from it. Don't drift from it. Stand firm in it. So let me ask you, have you drifted? Are you as much in love with Jesus when you first came to him? (laughs) Or have you become so familiar with him that he's a distance? You've drifted from him. Happens in marriages all the time, right? Our son, Caleb, just got married yesterday. He's in love. You know what I told him? It takes work to stay in love, though. Y'all okay? It takes work to stay in love. So Paul was saying, don't drift, stand firm in who Jesus is. And so throughout this passage, Paul is declaring the worth of Jesus, that he is worthy to have preeminence in our lives. What are those ways? Let me give you three of them today, okay? Here's the first one. It's worth the suffering. It's worth the suffering. You see, the reason why the church is powerless today is because we don't want to suffer. We want church when we want it. We want church how we want it. We don't want to be inconvenienced at all, do we? We don't. We don't want to suffer. Suffer is a foreign word from us. We don't think it's a part of knowing Jesus. We don't think it's a part of him being first in our life. And yet the fact of the matter is, if Jesus is first in your life, you're going to suffer. I don't know how, but you're gonna suffer. And one of the questions that Paul is answering is the question of suffering because he was writing from a prison and, 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 and the, the church was saying, aren't you discouraged? Aren't you defeated? Aren't you depressed? What's, what's wrong with you? What's up? Because you would think a, a God who is supreme and all-powerful and all-knowing, wouldn't let that happen to you, would he? And yet Paul writes back and he clarifies. And here's what he says. He says this, but part of my work is to suffer for you. Hello, are you suffering for anybody? And I'm glad for I am helping to finish up the remainder of Christ's sufferings for his body, the church. What's that mean? Wasn't Christ suffering enough? Yes, it is. But now we are his body and we are called to suffer so that other people can come to know Christ. And Paul says, I'm glad. You say, are you crazy? No. Paul enjoyed nice things. He enjoyed convenience. He enjoyed comfort. He just said that, you know what? There's some things worth suffering over. He believed that the highest calling was to serve Christ. And if it meant suffering for him, he was okay with that. He was okay with that. It was joyful suffering. I like to say it like this. That joyful suffering, okay, is giving up something you love for something you love even more. Take this by faith. I used to run the monument steps in Canton every day. I looked forward to it. I'd run three to five miles, and then I would run. There were five levels of 25 steps, and I would run those steps, and then I'd run the hill, and my legs would shake like this. And I would have sweats on and I'd be dripping with sweat. And I loved it. I loved it. You know why? Because I pictured myself in the fourth quarter of a basketball game at a free throw line, shooting free throws. And I didn't want my legs to be tired. I didn't want to be winded. I wanted to be able to be ready to be able to win the game. And I knew that if I paid the price in the offseason, I could win in the season. And it was worth all the pain. It was worth all the suffering. And you see, Paul loved people coming to Christ so much because he knew that everybody spent forever somewhere. He loved the personal freedom and the the convenience and the comfort. But what he loved even more than his personal freedom and the convenience and the comfort was seeing people come to Christ. And he basically was saying, if I have to give up my freedom, if I have to give up my convenience, if I have to give up my comfort so that other people will come to Christ, I will. Because you know what Paul was saying? Hey, you know what? I'm chained to guards. They can't get away from me. It's like having your kid in the car, okay? They can't get away from you. And he's saying, so you know what? I can talk all day long. They're going to find out, dude, what's wrong with you? You seem to have a joyful spirit. You seem to, to be okay. You seem to be at peace. And you're in prison let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you what he has done. If you're a mother here today and you've given birth to a child, you know what I'm talking about. Patty and I are blessed with four kids. I'm going to tell you a secret. Don't tell her, okay? She's known in our family for throwing up on the Brooklyn Bridge. Morning sickness. And whenever we would fly, we would grab all the bags that the the flight attendant would allow us because she'd go off in the car anywhere. And she did it for all four kids. You would think she would have stopped at one. But you know, listen to me, but you know what? You know what she ended up saying? The suffering was worth it. The suffering was worth it. Going through the the pain of labor, going through the sickness, going through all of the discomfort, her body changing, all of that. You know, when she held that little one in her arms, you know what she said? It was worth it. Did it hurt? Yeah. Was it uncomfortable? Yeah. Was it inconvenient? Yeah. But it was worth it. And Paul was far from being discouraged or distraught by his suffering. You know why? Because he was looking at what it was producing. You see, see what happens is my, my, my one son asked me, he said, Dwight, or didn't say Dwight, he said, Dad, how have you done this for 37 years? I told him a story. I told him a story of somebody's life was changed. And I said, that's why I get out of bed. That's why I'm willing to go through all the suffering, all the misunderstanding, all the pain, all the losses, all that, because their life has been changed. And I said, it's worth it. If, I'm, if I experience inconvenience, I do. If it's discomfort, it's okay. If it's hard, it's okay. Why? Because of what is the result. Paul was telling the church in Colossae, hey, you know what? Following Jesus isn't always easy. It's not always a bed of roses. It's not always comfortable. It's not always convenient. By the way, crosses aren't convenient. Crosses aren't comfortable. We wear them around our neck, but the fact of the matter is they're painful. They're hurtful. And Jesus bore the cross for you and me. He suffered for you and me. And Paul said, because of that, I want to suffer for you so that you might come to know him. because. He makes us better at life, and he helps us do life better. Here's the second thing, and that is this, service. Paul would say it's worth the service. He's talking to a church who has kind of drifted from who Jesus really is, and they've made him important, but they haven't made him preeminent. And, And he's saying, you know what? To suffer for him is worth it. To serve him is worth it. Look what he writes. He goes on in this and he writes this. He says, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. Do you know that if you are a Christ follower, God has given you the responsibility to serve his church, even though his church is imperfect, even though his church is full of flawed individuals and flawed leaders who might frustrate you? who might even hurt you hopefully not intentional and Paul says hey you know what god's given me a responsibility it's to serve his church it's the most important responsibility i have apart from my family he goes on to say this he says this message was kept secret for centuries and generations in past but now it has been revealed to god's people it's been revealed to you and me and he goes on and he says this for god wanted them to know the riches, and the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. You know what? God wants your co-workers. He wants your neighbors. He wants your your sons and daughters, friends, mom and dad, to know the riches and the glory of Christ Jesus. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. And this gives you assurance of sharing in his glory. Christ... Do you know that Christ lives in you? If you have come to a place in life of where you've, asked, you've accepted Jesus Christ as the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, the one who knitted you together in your mother's womb, the one who calls things not as they are, but as he would have them to be, the one who died and rose again from the grave lives in you. And he's given you and I a responsibility and that is to serve his church. You see, Paul was writing from a Roman prison and he says, God's given me a responsibility, and I can't shake it. You see, Paul referred to himself as a bondservant. If you would go through the epistles, you would find out that, that in Ephesians and Philippians, that, that, that Paul refers to himself as a bondservant. And in those days, uh, you could be freed from servitude. But what happens is some people, even though they were freed and they were not required, okay, they chose to continue to serve their masters because they loved their masters and they wanted to to, to serve them. And so what they would do, even though they were freed from, from, from being quote unquote slaves, they would keep the shackles on their hands and on their wrists and on their ankles, though there were no chains to them. And what it was signifying to everybody in the neighborhood, everybody in the community, that it was their choice it was their choice to continue to serve this person. And that's why Paul would say, I am a bond servant." He says, though I have the freedom to make my own choice and my own decisions, I just want you to know that I am a bond servant. I am bound to Jesus Christ and his mission and his cause. And that's what we're called to today. You see, Paul doesn't use the word pastor or minister. He uses a common word, service. How would you describe yourself? Would you describe yourself, Dwight Mason, servant of Jesus Christ? See, we got an identity crisis in America. Would you agree with me? Huh? Everybody's choosing identity and they're flip-flopping all over the place. You know what? You'll never find your identity, your true identity until you find Christ. And it's in Christ that you find your true identity and it will set you free. It will set you free. But we have to ask ourselves, do I see myself as a servant? Most of us would like to be viewed as a servant. We just don't want to be treated like a servant. Would you agree with me? That's where the suffering comes in. And so when you come to New Point, is your attitude, what can you do for me? Or is your attitude, I want to do something for you? See, most people, when they attend a church, you know what the can you tell me the programs that you offer? And what time are your services? And do you offer this and do you offer that? Why? That's why the church is powerless today because we're consumers. And Paul says, I'm not a consumer, I'm a contributor. God has given me a responsibility to serve his church. There's nothing wrong with benefiting from the church. I'm not saying that. But if Jesus is really first, you're going to say, How do I leverage my time? How do I leverage my treasure? How do I leverage my talent for his purposes? And Paul said, He's given me a responsibility to serve his church, to leverage my talent, my time, and my treasure for him. Here's the third one the third one is sacrifice. Paul is is saying to them, Hey, you know what? I'm asking you to come back to this truth that Jesus needs to have preeminence in your life. And it will cost you something. There'll be some suffering involved. There'll be some serving involved. There will be some sacrifice involved. But Paul would say this. He says, I give up the things that I love for the things that I love more. I I give up my convenience. I give up my comfort because there are some things worth sacrificing for. David, a man after God's own heart, he wrote these words. He says, I will not offer the Lord that which costs me nothing." Let me ask you a question, church. For those of you who know Jesus Christ, is it costing you anything to serve Jesus? Is it? Are you in for the ride or are or, 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 or you one who says, hey, you know what? See, Dave, David was an adulterer. Do you know that? David was a murderer. You know that? David wasn't a very good father. Read about his family, one of the most dysfunctional. They'd been on Jerry Springer's show, okay? one of the most dysfunctional families ever. And you know what? God forgave him of all of that. God restored him. God gave him a a heart. And David said, how else could I respond to this one who has forgiven me so much and has removed my sins as far as the East is from the West? How, How could I offer him anything that didn't cost me something? And so it is with us. And Paul says that. He says, you know what, if you're going to be the church, Colossae, if you're, if, you're, if you're going to be the church and you're going to impact Rome, then you're going to have to sacrifice. And he writes about it when he says this. He says, so we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching them everyone with all wisdom that God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That means that that he wants to present them mature, mature. That means what's it like to have a perfect relationship with God? You trust him. You trust him with everything. That's the healthy relationship. Every healthy relationship at the center of that relationship is trust. And so he says, you know what? We struggle to be able to help everybody to come to a place of where they will fully trust Jesus Christ and place him first. He goes on, he says, that's why we work and struggle so hard, deepening on Christ's mighty power that works within me. He says, I want you to know, I want you to know how much I struggle for you, how much I sacrifice for you. I'm in prison, I'm in chains because of Christ and because of sharing Christ. My goal is that their hearts would be encouraged and united together in love so that they might have what? All of the riches of assurance. I can't imagine how many Christians are so insecure. I can't imagine. You know why? Because we haven't struggled and we haven't worked. in being able to present them before Christ. Do you know that every boy and every girl basically has their view of God shaped by the age of 13? By the age of 13, they're pretty well set. Doesn't mean you can't change, it just means that, wow, you got a lot of stuff to go through if you're not being trained and developed as children. And he's saying that we struggle, we work hard because we know that's the key to life is being able to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all of your ways, acknowledge him as being first and he will make your path straight. He says, all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. And he says, the reason why we do this and the reason why I'm telling you this is this, okay? So that no one will deceive you with convincing arguments. You ever known somebody who, quote unquote, was walking with God and they're not now, they've been deceived? Well, God's not who he says he is because they've suffered a little bit. Life's not fair. And he says, you know what, we're working so hard so that no one will be deceived. He says, I am happy to see the discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ because of my sacrifice, because I have worked hard, I have struggled, I have labored. I I wanted to see Christ formed in you, and I'm so happy to see your discipline and your stability. Wow. See, that's the church. And if Jesus is first in our life, we will suffer, but it'll be worth it. We will be called to serve, but it'll be worth it. We will be called to sacrifice, but it will be worth it. You see, this is more than just saying a prayer that somebody asks you to pray, it's much, much more than that. And Paul says it's worthy of putting Christ first in your life. Jesus had a conversation with A man, and Matthew 19 records it, and no doubt Paul had heard it from Peter and James and John, and you might be familiar with it. It's the young rich ruler. And he asked Jesus, He said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, honor your mother and father. And the young rich ruler said, Hey, I've kept these all of my life. What do I still lack? Oh, what do I still lack? That's what religious people say. I've been going to church. I've been doing this. I've been doing that, but I still feel like I lack something. Does anybody here lack something today? And maybe you're trying to keep the rules and you just say, but you know what? I still lack something. Here's what Jesus said to the young rich ruler. He said, go and sell all of your possessions and give to the poor. You know what he was saying? Get off of your agenda and get on my agenda. Jesus isn't against nice things, but he knew that for this young man, possessions was his God. He says, go and sell all of your possessions and give to the poor. Scripture says that his face fell. He didn't want to give up his God. He didn't want to make Jesus preeminent in his life, first in his life. He wanted Jesus to be important, but not first. Peter was there, and you know Pete, okay, curious Pete, not afraid to speak up. He says, well, Lord, he said, we've given our all to you. We've suffered. We've sacrificed. We're serving you. What what about us? What about us? Is, is, Is there anything for us? And Here's what Jesus said. I want you to listen to these words. Here's what Jesus said. He said, I'm telling you, I am telling you the truth. Let's bring it up, please. I'm telling you the truth. And I'll guarantee it. When the son of man sits on his glorious throne in the world to come, and you, my followers, will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He goes on. And everyone who gave up homes, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, children, or fields, whoever has put me first in their life because of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. Wow. However, Pete, many who are first in this life will be last. But many who are last in this life, those who suffer, those who sacrifice, those who serve, those who put me first, they'll be first in the next life. Y'all okay? Jim Elliott said it well. He said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So I'm asking you to process this question as we wrap up. Is Jesus important to you? If he is, you're miserable. Because you're a double-minded man, double-minded woman. Or is he preeminent? Is he first? It's the only way this works, my friends. It's the only way it works. And that's why we meet every weekend, first day of the week, Sunday. You know why? Because all of us get out of alignment. Would you agree with me? You say, Dwight, you ever get out of alignment? Sure I do. That's why I need this. And I have to come back and say, okay, Jesus, are you first in my relationships? Are you first in my work? Are you first in my finances? Are you first in my pleasure, my hobbies, my time, my talent? Are you first there? Because all of us get out of alignment, and the church in Colossae got out of alignment, and Paul was calling them back to putting Jesus first, and I'm doing that for you. Why? Because he's worthy. Let's pray. Maybe today you've never accepted Jesus Christ, and you can. You know, he died for your sins. He loves you that much. He wants you to spend forever with him. And you can pray a simple yet life-transforming prayer and just say, Jesus, as much as I know and as much as I understand, I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to fill me with your power and your peace and your presence and help me to always keep you first in my life in all areas. And if that's your prayer, if that's your heart, he'll do that. For many of us, you know what? We prayed that maybe a year ago, maybe 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago. But the fact of the matter is we've drifted. We've drifted, and the truth is he's become important, but he hasn't become first. And maybe today you need to just say, God, thanks for your compassion and your kindness and your truth and for aligning me back that you are worthy of being first in my life and I put you there today. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for how you speak, direct but gentle and kind. And so God, we love you. A world at its worst needs a church at its best. We wanna be that. And the only way we can be that is if you're first. And it's in your name we give thanks. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to know more about us, please visit our website at newpoint.org. There you'll find past messages, parent resources, times and locations to all of our physical campuses, or you could just download our app at newpoint.org slash app. There you can find all those same resources just in a mobile version. We wanna say thank you again for joining us and we'll see you next time.